Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. And week two of the 2017 NFL season kicked off last night with the Texans knocking off the Bengals 13-9 in a game that was infinitely more boring than the score indicates. And as a matter of fact, only two games went down to the wire in week one, as I'm referring to the Falcons-Bears and Chargers-Broncos, but hopefully week two will bring more entertaining games. And to help us preview those games, it is a pleasure to welcome our good friend Hal Bent back to the program. And in case you uh, don't know Hal... I'm great, David. Great to be back as always. Thank you. You're very welcome. And before we um, uh, analyze uh, the games coming up on Sunday, let's talk a little bit about that game last night between the Texans and the Bengals in which the Texans prevailed 13-9 in large part due to uh, rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson and arguably the two biggest plays of the game, the 49-yard touchdown run and that long run that set up the field goal that put the Texans ahead for good um, were the deciding moments in the game. And when you look at a guy like Watson, um, his intangibles are off the charts. He, like obviously you saw him at Clemson, he just knows when to make the right plays when the lights are brightest. And he his mental fortitude is just otherworldly but as a pocket passer that's my biggest concern about him he still doesn't know how to win from the pocket which should be expected for a rookie quarterback especially coming from that Clemson uh, spread offense but I want I just wanted to know your opinion what did you think of Deshaun Watson's first NFL start last night and do you think the tools are there for him to grow into that pocket passer that'll help him be successful at this level I think he definitely has the tools. He reminds me a lot of Jameis Winston uh, coming out of college. He has that swagger. He has that confidence, that just that natural leadership, and you can see the team rallying around him. I think the biggest thing he gives the Texans is hope at that position, which they really haven't had for, I mean, go back however many years you want to go. It's been a while for Houston. And, you know, the big question now is, can he learn enough as the season goes along to be able to be able to lead this team back to the playoffs? I completely agree. The development of Deshaun Watson is going to be very fascinating to watch over this year and years to come. And on the other side of the ball, the Cincinnati Bengals couldn't have asked for a worse way to start the season. They are the first team since the 1939 Philadelphia Eagles to be held without a touchdown in their first two games of the season. And Andy Dalton just looks lost. Two years after uh, having an MVP caliber season, he he just, the, the wheels have just completely fallen off. And that's probably why the Bengals uh, fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Zampezi, today. But I think it points to a larger picture that the, this, the window of contention for this current core of Bengals players has mostly closed and do you think this could be the final season for Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton in Cincinnati it's very possible this could be their final season I mean it's a matter of when do we see AJ McCarron coming in from the sidelines if this offense doesn't improve in a hurry and I put a lot of the the problems with that offense watching last night is you know as everybody talked about with Cincinnati in the offseason they still have great offensive weapons at the skill positions but they don't have that offensive line and you could really see the difference of you know a team that's had so much loss on the offensive line due to aging due to injury due to players leaving in free agency 
and what effect that has on an offense. You can have A.J. Green. You can have these exciting young running backs. And, you know, it's still not going to be enough if nobody's blocking it enough for the quarterback to make plays. Oh, you absolutely said it. And it's not just the Bengals whose offensive line is derailing an offense that's filled with playmakers. Look at the Seahawks last week. They were held without a touchdown because Russell Wilson was constantly running for his life. And he had like two Packers in his face constantly all the time. And the consensus has been growing and growing for the past several years. The offensive line play in the National Football League, it's at its lowest level in, in generations. And Trent Dilfer suggested last night that the NFL has to reevaluate how they do their development system, like they, like maybe including a developmental league and a farm system, especially for quarterbacks and offensive linemen, because they play a game in college that is completely antithetical to that of the game at the NFL level. Um, uh, what are your thoughts about that? And do you share Trent Dilfer's views on that? I share those completely, David. I have long been a proponent of the developmental league. I thought the NFL Europe was a great idea. You know, maybe that's something that isn't a Europe plan, but should be back in the United States. And, you know, just like baseball has the developmental program with the minor league system, the NFL is really, especially in the last 10 years, with like you had mentioned, the advent of that spread offense, we've got offensive linemen that are coming in to the comp, you know, to the combine who have never faced an NFL style defense and have no idea how to line up and block. And they're being drafted in the first round based upon just their athletic ability. Amen, Hal. And uh, let's uh, move on to Sunday's game, starting with that game in New Orleans between your Patriots and the New Orleans Saints at the Superdome. And the Patriots, uh, they've had a lot of time to prepare for the Saints, and that gives them a leg up in this game, in my opinion. But they will be without linebacker Dante Hightower, who was ruled out for the, today's game uh, earlier today. And I kind of noticed a weird pattern that whenever Hightower is off the field, like the drop in performance of the Patriots defense has been staggering in recent, in recent years. And, uh, how much harder do you think will it be for the new England Patriots to stop breeze without Dante Hightower this week? Well, Hightower is so important because he does so many different things. And you really saw, you know, that fourth quarter when Hightower went out injured, I mean, remember, the Patriots were leading that game at halftime and at the end of three quarters, and Kansas City put up 21 points in the fourth quarter. That was, uh, you know, very reminiscent to me of, if you remember the Patriots-Broncos game in 2015, where same type of game, the Patriots uh, were in the lead, Hightower limped off the field with a knee injury, ended up missing three or four weeks, and the Broncos stormed back, and the Patriots just couldn't stop C.J. Anderson that game. So it's very um, interesting to see how they're going to plan to be without Hightower. The only thing that gives them a little bit of an edge is in week one, he really spent most of the game as an edge rusher. Instead of in the middle, they had Kyle Van Noy, the former Detroit Lion, playing basically the middle linebacker position as the only linebacker on the field most of the time as they were in a dime defense much of the game. So it'll be interesting to see if they stay in that dime, if they're in a nickel like they were for the most part for the last two years, a majority of their time, or, you know, who's going to be on the field. They brought in David Harris from the Jets who played all of two snaps last week. So 
not really sure what the plan is there. So as always with Bill Belichick, it's going to leave everybody guessing, I think, up until game time. He most certainly will. And that's once again, why I give the Patriots the advantage in this game because of the amount of time they've had uh, to prepare in the saints coming off a short week after that Monday night loss in Minnesota and sticking with the Patriots for a moment. Uh, Brandon Cooks, this is his first game against his former team, the Saints. And because of that reason, do you kind of expect the Patriots to pepper Brandon Cooks with even more targets than usual in this game? Well, one of the things that stood out for me last week is that the the lack of targets. I mean, he was targeted seven or eight times, but particularly with uh, Amendola out of the game, I really expected to see Cooks, who, when he was in New Orleans, played out of the slot quite a bit. Um, and the Patriots kept putting him out on the edge to see if he goes back into the slot and can bring some of that horizontal passing game back to New England and, you know, be able to take those five-yard passes and turn them into chain-moving 15-yard catch and runs. It definitely will be fascinating to see if they line up Cooks in the slot, but it'll also be fascinating to see if they put, like, Rex Burkett or James White in the slot to help fill the void that was created by uh, not only the season-ending injury to Julian Edelman, but the fact that Danny Amendola, who caught, um, I believe it was five passes for 100 yards last week, um, he is out for this game with a concussion and a knee injury. Uh, and what is the matchup that you think will ultimately decide this game between the Patriots and Saints? You know, probably the biggest matchup is the Saints have one really, really good pass rusher in Cam Jordan. And Jordan is, you know, the one player on that defense that you have to circle. And he's going up against Marcus Cannon, who came out of nowhere last year to have a great season at right tackle. And Cannon's been a little dinged up this week with an ankle injury. So if Cannon's mobility is limited and Jordan has a big game, Um, You know, he could be chasing Brady and that could be a a huge matchup win for the Saints and slowing down the Patriots offense. It very well could. And uh, who do you think wins this game and why? Well, I still think the Patriots are going to win, even though it's a tough road game. They've just got, you know, too many weapons on offense. That defense is going to tighten up and take away those big plays eventually. And, you know, remember as well, one more slot weapon that they have that they can flex out is Rob Gronkowski, who's very difficult to cover uh, in that slot position as well. So I see the Patriots bouncing back a little bit this week and, and getting a fairly convincing victory in New Orleans. I see the same thing. I see the Saints keeping it respectable for about a half and the Patriots pull away late 35 to 24. And from the Bayou to the Heartland in Kansas City, where the Chiefs host the Philadelphia Eagles. Andy Reid, the teacher, hosting his student, Doug Peterson, who brings his Eagles to town um, for the second uh, showdown between Andy Reid and the Eagles during his tenure with the Chiefs. And when you look at this game, uh, especially given the injuries to Eric Berry and the Eagles and missing Ronald Darby as well with their secondary issues, a lot of the guys are pointing this to be a high-scoring game. I'm not so sure because obviously – The Chiefs know what to expect from Doug Peterson's offense because Doug Peterson was their offensive coordinator. But also since Doug Peterson knows Andy Reid very well, the Eagles are going to know what to expect from the Chiefs' offense as well. And for that reason, do you see this game being more low scoring than some anticipated given the the familiarity of both teams with one another's offenses? 
Well, that's definitely going to help. And I mean, Kansas City does have a very, very good defense. You know, a lot of people said, well, the Patriots didn't play well on offense, but but that Chiefs defense is legit. And the Eagles defense, you know, is not like you said, you know, Darby dinged up hurts, but that's still a very good defense that that played a strong game last week. And, and I'm with you. I think this game, you know, both teams in the low 20s. I don't think, you know, it's a pick the over kind of game. And neither do I. And when you look at both teams, you look at the two position groups. And for the Eagles, I would argue that the strength of their team is their defensive line because that defensive line like makes a world of difference. It helps mask the weaknesses in their back seven. And obviously the Chiefs, uh, I believe their biggest strength. uh, Yes, you could talk about their defense all you want, but I think uh, what makes the Chiefs more competitive than ever is the abundance of weapons they now have on offense with two mismatched weapons in Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and plus Kareem Hunt, who came on the scene last week with a vengeance. Um, Which position group do you think is more important to their team's odds of winning this game, the Eagles defensive line or the Chiefs offensive weapons? Well, I think it's the Chiefs offensive weapons. I think, you know, the Kansas City's defense is is going to hold Philadelphia in check a little bit. So they're going to have to put up the points. They're going to need another three touchdown, four touchdown game and really, you know, continue to convert in the red zone, make those big chunk plays and, you know, keep riding Kareem Hunt after week one is what I would certainly be planning to do. I most certainly would be planning to do that as well. And who do you think wins? Well, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I think I think the offense will put up enough points. I think the defense is still strong enough to make up for the loss of Eric Berry at safety. And uh, it'll be a close game and, you know, maybe around 27-24. I completely agree. I have the Chiefs winning against the Eagles 24-17 to for the record. And from one AFC West team to another, let's go to Denver where the Broncos play host to the Cowboys this weekend in the game to watch in the uh, 3.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time Hour, 4.30 Eastern Hour. And uh, this game does have the potential to be pretty interesting uh, given the matchup between the Cowboys offense and the Broncos defense. Dak Prescott, as as, as great as he's been, he has not seen a secondary like the Broncos. So So his options in the passing game could be more limited than usual. How do you think the Cowboys will attack the Broncos in the passing game? Well, based on the performance of the Broncos' run defense against the Chargers on Monday night, I think it's going to be a lot of Ezekiel Elliott, and I think the Cowboys are breathing a sigh of relief that they're actually going to have him back back there for the game um, now that he's got that suspension on hold. So, you know, look for them to, to pound with Elliott repeatedly and then, you know, play action and try to catch Bradley Roby in coverage and you know, just like the Chargers did last week, you know, stay as far away from Chris Harris Jr. and Aqib Tlaib as you can. I completely agree. It's pretty much going to be the Ezekiel Elliott show on Sunday. And in the passing game, Dak Prescott is going to look more to Jason Witten and Cole Beasley in mismatches on safeties and linebackers as opposed to Des Bryant, who I think will, although he'll get his uh, a big play or two, uh, he, uh, it's reasonable to expect him to be held in check for the most part by Tlaib and Harris. And moving on to the Broncos for a second. Uh, when you look at the Broncos' uh, defensive line, their run defense actually stiffened after that early 21-yard run uh, by Melvin Gordon. But if you look at the 
current defensive line, they're operating at sub 100% health. Derek Wolf's still not 100%, even though they get Zach Kerr back this week. He's not 100%. And they've had some young guys like Adam Gotsis uh, and Shelby Harris show promise, uh, especially uh, with Gotsis last week. Uh, it's still a tall order to ask a defensive line operating at sub 100% to go toe-to-toe all game with the best offensive line in football. So given that fact, do you think the Broncos' best chance at pulling off the upset is to essentially keep the Cowboys' offense off the field? Well, it'll be interesting to see if they can run the ball. I mean, if I'm looking at the Broncos' offense, you know, I want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers more often than in the they did last Monday. I thought, you know, Trevor Simeon did a good job of moving the ball around, but I would want to see the ball in the hands of my premier wide receivers who are getting paid to produce and have them making plays and giving them the ball in space to be able to do that. Most definitely. And the fact that this is a Rod Marinelli uh, zone coverage Tampa 2 defense, uh, this is a game where they have to target Emmanuel Sanders more often than they did uh, last week. And who do you have winning this game? Well, I have the Cowboys. I, it's going to be tough for them to pull it out. It's going to be a close game. I am I really want to see if that Cowboys defense is as good as it looked last week. And if it's almost as good as it was last week against the Giants, they should be able to pull off um, the tough road win. And I have them at 24-21 Cowboys. I think the game is going to be very close for uh, three quarters, but I believe that offensive line and running game will prove too much for the uh, Broncos defensive line, which once again is operating at sub 100% health uh, to deal with. The Broncos are going to keep it close and they're going to put up a more than respectable fight, but I think the Cowboys pull away in the end by a score of 24 to 17. And moving to the Sunday night game, arguably the game of the week between the Green Bay Packers and the Atlanta Falcons in a rematch of the 2016 NFC Championship game. And last week, the Green Bay Packers pulled off a stellar defensive performance against Russell Wilson, the Seahawks. But the Falcons offense, when you look at them, I think they pose an infinitely tougher challenge to this Packers defense. What makes the Falcons offense more of a challenge to the Packers than the Seahawks were? And what do the Packers have to do defensively in this game in order to carry over the momentum from their dominating performance against Russell Wilson company last week? Well, for, for the Falcons, you know, that offense just has so many weapons, you know, you saw it against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It looked a little out of sync last week with the first game with new offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, but, but Matt Ryan, with all those weapons, it's, it's almost impossible to stop. And for Green Bay, you know, the defense stood out last week as having such a, a command performance against Seattle. But, boy, you know, you have to be so deep in that secondary to cover all of those Falcons wide receivers, the running backs coming out of the backfield. You saw the tight end Hooper who caught a touchdown in the the Super Bowl coming back with a couple of big receptions last week as well. So they, they just throw so many weapons at you, so many different formations and movements. It's almost impossible for a defense to keep up with that kind of offense. And, and that's what makes the Falcons so good and, and a favorite to return to the Super Bowl this year. It most certainly does. And, and this game in particular, I think the Falcons have an extra sense of motivation to win, given the fact that this is their first ever regular season game at their beautiful new stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, in Atlanta. And do you think the Falcons have that extra motivation to win this game since it's their 
um, first game in their new stadium? Well, I do. I really, you know, that the crowd plays a, a big part of any game. And, you know, anybody that's watched the NFL and seeing teams playing at home can see that. And, and the new stadium, there's definitely a lift with that. And the first time their fans get to really see the team, you know, since seeing them lose that Super Bowl. So I think the Falcons are just too much to handle. It's it's hard to pick against Aaron Rodgers, as always, because, you know, that Green Bay offense, he always seems to find a way to to put them in a position to make plays and, you know, score, score enough points to pull it out. But I, I'm thinking the Falcons get this one. Uh, very interesting. And let's take a look at some game deciding matchups in this game before we um, finalize our predictions here. Um, you mentioned Austin Hooper. Hooper, I think, is going to have a breakout year, and he showed his potential to do so with those two big receptions last week. And the Packers, uh, linebackers, uh, and maybe haha Clinton Diggs, but I don't think they have enough people, if not anybody, that can cover uh, Austin Hooper or their running backs uh, in space. So that could be a game-deciding matchup for me. What is a game-deciding matchup in this game for you? Well, I mean, you could almost say, you know, Julio Jones against anybody because there's nobody in the NFL that, you know, can cover him one-on-one. Um, you know, you put him in a zone, he'll find the opening. You know, he's just, I mean, even if you look back at, you know, some of those crazy catches in the Super Bowls against the Patriots where they had him bracketed with a cornerback in his face and a safety behind him, and he's still pulling that ball down. I think the biggest problem the Falcons have sometimes is that with all those weapons, they don't target Julio Jones as much as they should in a game. And I think that happened in the Super Bowl. I think there was a little bit of that last week where we saw the ball going everywhere and, and Ryan getting the ball out so quick, but getting Julio Jones back to that focal point of the offense, feeding him, you know, putting the ball in the hands of the best player, uh, arguably in the league at that position that does wonders for your offense and, and gets your point total up real high. And, and green Bay, like you said, they're improving in the secondary, but I don't think they can handle that matchup. Yeah, and that's why you like the Falcons in this game, correct? Correct, yep. Yep, so Hal is going with the Falcons here, and this is the first game in which we disagree here. I have a reason that the Green Bay Packers want to make a statement to start the season, and they made one last week against the Seahawks, and they want to make another one this week at Atlanta to prove that they are the team to beat this year in the NFC, and I believe Aaron Rodgers finds a way to get it done in a high-scoring game of 31 he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. He covers the New England Patriots for Scout Media, Cover32.com, and MusketFire.com. And Hal, we thank you once again for joining us to preview another week in the NFL. But before we go, we have to do our rapid-fire predictions for the rest of the games here in Week 2. I have the timer set at three minutes, and we are starting now with the Vikings and the Steelers. Another intriguing game to watch. Who do you have? I have the Vikings. They looked great last week. They have a chance at pulling off an upset, and I think it's going to be one of the closest games of the week, but Sam Bradford's bulky knee makes me skeptical. I still think the Steelers pull it off, albeit by a very close score of 23-20. to 20. Moving to the Bears and Bucks in Tampa, who do you have? Oh, definitely Tampa. I'm really excited about this team on both sides of the ball. They look like a playoff team this year, so Tampa at home with the easy win over the Bears. I completely agree there. And the Jaguars and Titans uh, in Jacksonville, uh, who do you have there? 
That's a tough one. I'm I'm going with the Titans over the Jaguars, despite how good Jacksonville looked last week. I'm not quite a believer yet. I think that Jaguars defense does just enough to put the Jaguars at 2-0, and although I believe in the Titans this season long-term still. Browns and Ravens in an AFC North matchup. I really loved seeing that Ravens defense. It looked, you know, like that Harbaugh defense from seven, eight years ago. I think Baltimore at home is a, a slam dunk. I agree, too. Ravens over the Browns, and Kaiser takes a little bit of a step back from last week before he takes his next step forward. Bills, Panthers, and another um, teacher-pupil coaching match as Sean McDermott returns to Carolina to face Ron Rivera. I love what Christian McCaffrey has already done to that Carolina offense. Just so much energy boosted into there and, and Cam Newton feeding off of that. I see Carolina with a win over a Bills team that's still in a little bit of a rebuilding mode and it's going to be tough for them to, to pull out a road win. So Carolina here today. Completely agree. And in arguably the least enticing matchup of the week, the Cardinals and Colts. Who do you got? Well, I've seen enough of Jacoby Brissett last year and this summer that I'm not a believer uh, in his first start for Indianapolis. So I, I really can't see myself picking the Colts. The Cardinals, they've got a solid defense. They should be able to go in and win this one. I believe the Cardinals um, have are able to win this one as well. And the Colts are starting Jacoby Brissett, by the way. And the fact that he's their best option right now speaks volumes about where that team is currently at. Dolphins and Chargers, who do you like? And the Chargers' first game in L.A. since the 1960s. I, I, you know, I, I was impressed with the overall game by the Chargers. We really haven't seen Miami with that first game uh, lost due to the hurricane. But uh, Miami is a playoff team. They're flying out west. They're putting a lot of distraction behind them. I think they put it all behind them this week and pull out a close win. I completely agree, and we're all approaching a minute to go. Jets-Raiders, I think this is the easiest call of the week. I, I'm picking against the Jets in all 16 games, no matter what right now, so go Oakland. Uh, Raiders it is. Uh, Redskins-Rams in another teacher-pupil coaching matchup as Sean McVay plays host his mentor, Jay Gruden. I like the Rams in this game. I like what they did last week. Yeah, that Rams defense looked awesome. And and then you're adding, you know, Aaron Donald, only arguably one of the top three defensive players in the league to that defense now this week. I, it's impossible not to pick against the Rams. Uh, 49ers Seahawks. Uh, I, I think the Seahawks bounce back this week. What about you? Yeah, I, I you know, I'd like to see San Francisco make some big strides, but going into Seattle, oh, it's tough to win with the 12th man there. I'm picking the Seahawks. And last but not least, the Monday night matchup between the Lions and Giants. I like the Lions to continue their winning ways here, especially with Odell Beckham at less than 100%, even if he does play. Yeah, if Beckham was at 100%, I, I think they'd see a market improvement in that Giants offense, but they're still having trouble running the ball. They're another team that still has some issues on the offensive line, and Detroit looks to have a good balance there. I'm picking Detroit. And time is up, and that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we'll be back next week with a look at week three and what it means for your fantasy team and favorite real team, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromelow saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.